This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's really good to see all of you here today. Uh, let's go to God in prayer as we ask Him to help us to understand His Word to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really ask that you help us to understand this really important passage in your Word. That you help us to understand the full measure of what the cross means for us today. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want you to imagine that you have been convicted of a capital crime. Imagine that you have murdered someone and you have been sentenced to death. The judge has found you guilty, guilty, guilty. You are a dead man walking. Now, how good do you have to be in that situation in order to be saved? Like, uh, how good do you have to be in order to be set free? How good do you have to be to your prisoners, your fellow prisoners? How good do you have to be to the prison guards? How good do you have to be to other people? Well, the answer is that humanly it is impossible for you to be set free because your destiny is to die by hanging. You are a dead man walking. You are guilty. Now, as we've been studying the Bible in the Gospel of Matthew, we move from the realm of imagination into the realm of reality. And what the Bible actually says is that all of us, before God, are in a sense murderers. Because in our hearts, we hate. In God's eyes, we are all adulterers. Because in our hearts, we lust. We've all broken God's laws, and God has found us guilty, guilty, guilty. We are all not dead men walking, but we are hell and eternal judgment walking. Now how good do we have to be then in order to be saved? Or how good do we have to be in order to be set free from eternal judgment and hell? Or you can be super good to the people around you, you could give money to the poor, you could help the old and destitute, but your destiny is still fixed. Your destiny is still hell and eternal Judgment. You are hell and eternal judgment walking. Now, do you understand your situation? Do you understand our situation, all of us here today? Because unless we really understand that situation that we are really in, then it's very hard for us to appreciate Matthew chapter 26. We won't really understand what Jesus is talking about. But if you get it, where you stand before God today, then you will understand Matthew chapter 26. So in Matthew chapter 26, it begins by saying, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now this is a shocking statement because when Jesus had been saying all these things, and what are all these things that Jesus had been saying? He'd been saying things like he was coming again as the ruler, he would be coming again as the king, he was the Son of God, and he compared his coming to a great wedding banquet for God's Son. Now, when Jesus had said all these things, he then tells them that he, the Son of Man, will be handed over to be crucified in two days. He tells them the when, and he tells them the how. Two days' time, he's going to be crucified. And who is going to hand him over to be crucified? It is God. Now, just 
Think about that for a second, about the contradiction of that, that God's Son, the King, the Ruler, is being handed over by God Himself so that He will be crucified in two days' time. Now, we don't see the horror of it or the contradiction of it because when we think of crucifixion, we think of the cross. And the cross is a very domesticated, very uh, acceptable thing nowadays. You see the cross on buildings. You see the cross on people's shirts. You see the cross on uh, people's chains. You see people with tattoos of crosses. It's like, it's just, a, it's just a cross, right? But in the ancient world, the cross was a very shameful thing. It was a fear thing. It was a dreaded thing. Only the worst of criminals were crucified by the Romans. And if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified because it was such a terrible thing to happen. And if you were in polite society, you would not talk about crucifixion because crucifixion was such a humiliating thing. Imagine hanging there naked in front of everybody for days, suffering as you tried to gasp for breath. So the question that we ask ourselves right at this very beginning is why? Right? Why? Here is God's son, here is God's ruler, here is God's eternal king. Why is God handing him over to be crucified, this terrible death? Right? Why would Jesus die by crucifixion? So, it then goes on in verse 3, right? where it says, Then the chief priests and the elders and the peoples assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Now you notice here that in verse 3 begins by the word then. Right? then. And the word then here is very important because it shows us that God's plan, God's handing over of Jesus is taking place through the actions of sinful men. So here the chief priests and the elders of the people, they slyly and secretly scheme to catch Jesus, to arrest Jesus, so as to kill him. And now, that is the first step of God's plan of handing Jesus over to be crucified. But in verse 4 onwards, it tells us of exactly more of the preparation that God has in handing Jesus over to be crucified. Because it says, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on, his body, on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. Now, uh, there's a very important verse here, right? Because it says the word Bethany, which is the name of our church, right? 
So Bethany is actually a place name, okay? So Bethany was a small town outside of Jerusalem. And there, as uh, the, the, the pilgrims were coming into Jerusalem to, to celebrate the Passover, you know, the poorer people would stay further away because, you know, all the hot, five-star hotels in Jerusalem would be very expensive and taken during this time. So Jesus is there, and he's there with uh, this guy called Simon the leper. And Simon the leper was probably someone who had been healed by Jesus because if he still had leprosy, nobody would be having dinner with him because, or having a meal with him because then they couldn't celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Anyway, so Jesus is there, Simon the leper's house, and uh, they're not sitting down because, you know, in the ancient world, they don't sit down like we do in modern days, right? They don't sit on stools or chairs, but they sort of like recline, like they reclined on these couches as they were eating. And this woman came in with a jar of perfume, right? It says there, and, and, and we're not talking like small perfume. You know, when you go to the cosmetic sections and tanks or Robinsons, you know, you see all these small little bottles of perfume. It's like the perfume she had was like, you know, this size of perfume, okay? And uh, she breaks off the top and she pours the perfume <clears throat> over Jesus as he's lying down. Now, if I were you, I mean, sorry, if I were you, if I was Jesus, right, uh, I'm not sure how I'd react to that because, you know, I might be a bit unhappy because sometimes when I'm walking through these cosmetic sections and tanks or Robinsons, you know, people, these short, short ladies come and then they, they, they put stuff on your wrist or spray stuff on you. I really find that really irritating, right? So I can't imagine Jesus there and then, you know, this lady comes and pours perfume over him. Now the disciples were unhappy. The disciples were definitely unhappy because they felt that this perfume was very expensive. And they could have sold this perfume on carousel, right, and made lots of money and given the money to the poor. But Jesus says a shocking thing. She says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Now why is it a waste for the disciples and a beautiful thing for Jesus? It's a beautiful thing because of the time. Right? What time is it? When is this happening? When the perfume is poured over his body. It is the time two days before he's about to die. And he's about to die by crucifixion. And when you die as a criminal, because only criminals get crucified, you are not given a ceremonial burial where you have the anointing after you die to prepare your body for burial. So again, God in his sovereign plan is preparing Jesus for his crucifixion because he will not get anointing after his crucifixion. God prepares to give him an anointing before his crucifixion by sending this woman to pour this oil, this perfume over his body before he goes to the cross. But Jesus says a very surprising thing. In fact, almost every couple of verses we find a surprise in verse 20, chapter 26. He says, Truly I tell you in verse 13, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, if you were to hear Jesus at that meal at Simon the leper's house, you'd sort of think, hey, this Jesus, uh, he's a bit full of himself, right? He's kind of got this supersized ego, right? You know, he's like this megalomaniac. If I were to come to church, right, and I say, hey, you know, guys, when I die, right, 
the gospel of Andrew Ong will be preached throughout the world, and those of you who are nice to me today, you will be remembered together with me, right? You sort of think, oh, this Andrew, getting a bit full of himself these days. Right? But that's exactly what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, when the good news, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached in the world after his crucifixion, this woman will be remembered. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Because today, 2,000 years after that particular meal at Simon the leper's house, we remember what this woman did to Jesus to prepare him before he died on the cross. So Jesus is not some supersized ego. He's not some sort of egomaniac. He must be God because only God has that sort of foreknowledge of what's going to happen in the future. Now, like God's perfectly made plan to hand Jesus over to be crucified, all the pieces are falling into place. The high priests, the elders, they're plotting to murder Jesus. The woman anoints Jesus' body in preparation for his crucifixion. And now we see that one of his closest disciples is willing to betray Jesus. So look at what it says there in verse 14. That one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table of the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord? Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. So here we see that Judas, uh, one of his inner circle of disciples, one of the twelve, decides to betray Jesus. And Jesus says that this must happen, right? In verse 24, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him. Now, if you look up here on the slide, uh, you can click it four times, right? The idea here is that He will be betrayed. Jesus will be betrayed. Over and over again, the word betray comes up. Now, what is it about what Judas is doing that fulfills Scripture, that fulfills the Old Testament. What passage of the Old Testament did Jesus have in mind when he said Judas must do this? 
I think that he actually is looking to the suffering servant. Because, you know, in the book of Isaiah, God prophesies that there will be this person, an unknown person called the suffering servant, who will come and suffer to serve other people, and he will suffer and serve other people because he will set them free from their sins. Now, if you notice here on the slide, or the next slide, right, this suffering servant, we are told in verse 3, was despised and rejected by men. Right? Verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our suffering, our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now I think this is very important because Jesus was betrayed by Judas. How much did Judas receive for betraying Jesus? It says there, 30 silver pieces. Now when you think about it, the next slide, uh, 30 silver pieces is actually not a lot of money. It is actually the price of a bull. So that means that in a sense, what Judas exchanged Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the ruler, the king, was for a bull, right? So, you know, it's like, you know, you can imagine the comparison, right? The price of a bull is the cost of the Savior, Jesus Christ, the eternal king. And I think that's why what Judas did fulfills what Isaiah 53 is talking about. The suffering servant was not esteemed very highly. The suffering servant was despised. And that's exactly how Judas treated Jesus. He, he didn't esteem Jesus very highly. He despised Jesus. He only got 30 silver pieces of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that you know, Judas should have asked for more money. But what it's really saying is, this is the estimation that Judas gave Jesus. Now, if that is what Judas was actually doing, then we are, we are here to see that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant. That is why he goes to the cross. Because the reality, as we said in the beginning in the introduction, was that we all are under God's judgment. We all are under sin. We are all guilty, guilty, guilty. The only way that we can be set free is by receiving the suffering servant. So if you go back to the passage, can, um, sorry, can you click back uh, two slides again? So the only way uh, that... Uh, oh, okay, again, one more. So the only way that we can actually be set free is if Jesus, as we see in verse 6, right, allows our sins, our iniquities to be laid on Jesus Christ 
and Jesus gives us his righteousness. It's a bit like an exchange, right? So it's like, imagine I'm Jesus. So Jesus, that's me. I'm perfectly sinless. I'm full of God's righteousness. I'm sinless. I give humanity on this side all of my righteousness, all of my goodness, all of my holiness. And in exchange, humanity gives Jesus on this side all of our iniquity, all of our wickedness, all of our guilt and all of our sin. And that's the role of the suffering servant. He suffers on behalf of the people as a substitute. He gives his righteousness and he accepts the sin and iniquity of the world instead. Now I want you to think for a moment, right, about exactly what is happening here if Jesus is the suffering servant. When is the last time someone suffered for you? Okay, think of it. When is the last time some don't think of your parents now, okay? But when is the last time someone took their, your punishment for you? So anyway, usually I, I, I think I, I'm fairly good at coming up with illustrations, even though some of them might be a bit lame. Right? But you know, I, I, I think of illustrations, sometimes I walk around my study, maybe I go for a swim, I walk around, walk my dog or whatever, I try to think of illustrations. You know, to tell you the truth, I can't think of a single time where someone chose to take my punishment for me. Uh, you know, I remember when I was in school, I got punished many times by my teachers. You know, I stood in the garbage bin, stood outside the principal's office. I can't remember any of my fellow students ever saying, hey, yeah, Andrew, let me take your punishment for you, right? Uh, I remember when I was at work, I got scolded by my boss, you know, make mistakes. I don't remember any of my colleagues saying, yeah, yeah, Andrew, let me take your punishment for you. It doesn't happen, right? Maybe you have different experiences, but it's, I can't even remember a time someone voluntarily took my punishment for me. And that's why it's so shocking, because Jesus is the suffering servant who takes the punishment of people. And yet he is God, and yet he is God's son, and yet he is king and ruler. I mean, how rare is that? Now Jesus then goes on in verse 26 onwards. Now while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Okay, now remember what meal are they eating? The Passover meal. Now, we don't celebrate the Passover meal in Singapore because we're not Jewish people, right? There is no, there's Christmas, but there's no Passover celebration in Singapore. But what is this Passover meal? I mean, Jesus could have died in 364 other days. Why is it this Passover meal is so important that he should die after the Passover meal? Now, we're going to spend a bit of time talking about Passover here because it's so important. I and mean, I think many times we, we don't understand it. Right? So, the very big event in the Old Testament is the Exodus, right? The Exodus in the Old Testament is in a sense equivalent to like a crucifixion for us, right? It's like the big event in the Old Testament, right? It's a really big event which the Jews remember all the time. And the Exodus and the Passover celebrates the last miracle that God did to set his people free from Egypt and bring them 
to the promised land. Right? So this is the last miracle. Like This is the straw which broke the Pharaoh's back and allowed them to, to go up to the promised land. And what was this miracle that God did? Well, God told Pharaoh and all of Egypt that the firstborn of every family living in Egypt would die. You know, the firstborn of the animals, the firstborn of the families, they will all die. But God protected His people because He said, I will not cause your firstborn to die if you substitute the blood of your firstborn with a sacrificial lamb. Right, so what they had to do was they had to put blood on the doorposts of their or the next time on of the doorposts of their houses and their homes. And when the, 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 the angel of death came, they would see the blood on the door and what would happen? The angel would pass over the house, right? So that's the idea of being passed over, right? It's not like being passed over promotion, right? But pass over the house, right? Because the blood had already been paid for by the lamb, right? So instead of the firstborn dying, some poor, random, innocent lamb died instead. But if you notice, Jesus takes the words of the Passover meal and he changes it. Like for hundreds of years, they've been celebrating the Passover. And now Jesus comes and he changes the words of the Passover meal. He says, take and eat. This is my body. And that's what we do in the Lord's Supper or the Holy Communion every month at church. And, and, and what he's really saying is, the Passover lamb is actually fulfilled in Jesus at the cross. He is the ultimate fulfillment, unique, only Passover lamb. In the past, the Passover lamb was for this act of Exodus where deaths would pass over you. But now Jesus as the Passover lamb would cause not just death to pass over you, but God's judgment, God's wrath, hell, and eternal damnation to pass over you. Now, that's really remarkable, right? Because what he's saying is, his death on the cross is necessary because all of us require hell and eternal judgment to pass over us. Jesus here is basically substituting himself for us. His blood, in a sense, is, is on the door of our houses so that hell and God's wrath passes over us. Now, he goes on to say in verse 28 to 29, oh, sorry, verse 27, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from, all of, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, um, Jesus' death on the cross is the suffering servant dying in substitution. He is the Passover lamb. 
But Jesus says there's one more thing, right? He takes the cup. So apparently when they celebrated the Passover meal, they drank uh, like uh, five cups of wine, right? So, okay, so I guess you, you feel pretty happy after that. So Jesus probably here is using either the, 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 the fourth or the fifth cup of wine. And uh, he says that actually he is bringing the blood Right, his death on the, on the cross is, is bringing blood, the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, blood is always a symbol of violent death. Right? That, that's, that, that's what, when you see blood, that's what you're supposed to see. Like, okay? You're supposed to see violent death. So here, we actually see that Jesus' blood fulfills I guess the covenant with Moses, right? So, if we are thinking at a deeper theological level, Jesus', Jesus death on the cross fulfills the suffering servant, it fulfills the Passover lamb, now fulfills the covenant with Israel. Because in the, uh, the next slide, where's the, is that passage on Exodus 24? Yes, so in Exodus 24, the people use blood to seal the covenant with God, right? So Moses got up early the next morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, in the ancient world, when you have a binding covenant, it is bound by blood. Usually the blood of some poor chicken or lamb or goat, right? So the blood seals the covenant. But here Jesus uses his own blood, his own violent death on the cross, to bring about a covenant or a contract where you now have forgiveness of sins. A covenant between you and God where if you believe in Jesus, he is contractually bound to forgive you of your sins. Now, this is amazing, right? Uh, so the next slide. Uh, okay, next one. Okay, so you can see just how theologically full the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus is. Right? He is the suffering servant. He suffers and dies to take our sins on him. He is the Passover lamb. He sacrifices himself so that hell and condemnation passes over us. He dies a violent death so that his blood is given as a contract between us and God that we will be forgiven of our sins. Now, not too long ago, uh, someone from our church invited me to speak to um, uh, one of their friends, an overseas colleague, and uh, they wanted to know about Christianity, and I was, I was really happy to speak to him. Uh, it's one of those conversations that uh, I really enjoy. So we met out in a cafe, and he had a, you know, a really sincere attitude. He had all these no holes barred questions, right? Like he had a whole list of questions about Christianity. He, he's from another country. 
So he asked me some uh, hard questions, and one of the questions he asked me was, he said there's a man that he really respected. And this man was the prime minister and founder of his country. And he, he thought, it's not, this is not Singapore, okay? So don't, don't, go, don't get the wrong idea, okay? So this, he's not Singaporean, and he's not from Singapore, he's overseas. And he said, this man who he really, really, really respects is not a Christian. Was not a Christian, this man has since died. But he was a good man. He was a very, very good man. So he asked me this question. He said, will this man go to heaven? So, you know, I could feel the stress and sweat and everything. And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think he'll go to heaven. He was, he, and then this man was really shocked. And he said, why not? And I said, because, I said, this man doesn't have a substitute. I said, you know, if he doesn't have a substitute, then he has to pay for his sins himself. And if he has to pay for his sins himself, he will face judgment by himself. He doesn't have a substitute because that is what Jesus does, I said. He substitutes himself for sinful people. And because this very good man who you really respect, who was the prime minister of your country, he didn't have a substitute, he will have to face judgment by himself. And I think that's the whole point about the crucifixion, right? Is Jesus substituting himself as the suffering servant, as the Passover lamb, writing this contract of forgiveness for us. And that's why it's so important for us to have Jesus Christ and the cross. Because without Jesus Christ and the cross, who is going to pay for your sins? Who is going to face judgment for you except yourself? And you will still be in your sins and still be guilty before God. So in conclusion, what is the best Passover you have ever received? Right, so you know, you've done something bad or something you know something bad's gonna to happen to you, right? Or you, you, you really expect something bad is gonna to happen to you. But then for some miracle that bad thing passed over you. I remember when I was in primary school, many, many, many years ago, I think I was like primary three or Right. I had an exam the next day and uh, I think it was like my last or second last exam in a whole stretch of exams and I was really, really badly, badly prepared. Right? I knew that tomorrow when I go into the exam, I'm going to do really badly. And I went to bed and I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible, right? Red marks, how to tell my parents. But then in the morning, that bad experience I expected passed over me. Because when I woke up in the morning, the president of Singapore, President Shears, died. And there was an announcement that there was no school that day and I wouldn't have to do the exam. Right? And I was thinking, well, this is really good because i got one more day of study, then I'll be okay. Now, I mean, I think that's quite funny or whatever, but, but the reality is that when we think of Passover, what Jesus has done for us on the cross is, 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 is a million times greater than that. Right? that. That actually, we all need a Passover. Because the bad, the bad event that's our destiny in front of us is condemnation, hell, God's wrath. And we need a Passover. Right? We, need to, we need to be passed over that. 
And that's why the crucifixion is such good news, right? The gospel, Jesus says, the gospel that is preached right, around the world is about the cross of Christ and his crucifixion. Because he suffers as our suffering servant. He takes our sins, our iniquities on himself. He's our Passover lamb. He died. His blood was shed. His violent death was shed on our behalf. And there is a promise of a new contract, a new covenant between ourselves and God, where when we believe in Jesus and we accept Him as our suffering servant, as our Passover lamb, we receive total forgiveness of sins. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you will help us to see the wonderful sovereign plan that you had, that you chose to hand over your son Jesus to die on the cross by crucifixion, a terrible, terrible death. And dear Father, we pray that we will see the full significance of the crucifixion for us, that each and every one of us here need to accept the crucifixion of Jesus on our behalf because He is our suffering servant. He is our Passover lamb. By His blood, we have received the promise, the covenant or the forgiveness of sins. And we pray for each and every one of us here indeed that we will be passed over by the destiny of hell and eternal condemnation because we received the death and uh, crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.